Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here today with Pat Abendroff. Pat, what you drinking over there in that coffee mug you got? Oh, I've got some Pete's Holiday Blend, and it is treating me right. I thought it was going to be a peppermint mocha today. Get out of here. Somebody <laughs> actually reached out and said, you can do peppermint mochas with Zevia. I do them at home. And I said, it sounds funny, but no thanks. <laughs> so, no Thank you. We are going to have an awesome episode today. We're yes, going we are. to be talking about how to interpret the Bible, otherwise known as hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, yeah. Not hermeneutics, but hermeneutics. I know it sounds oppressive, probably from the patriarchy, but that's okay. Hermeneutics. <laughs> how to interpret the Bible is what we're going to talk about, and we're going to have a great time doing it. In fact, we have a guest with us today. We do. We have a guest in studio. Our first repeat guest ever in the history of the Pactumverse, yeah. which means we have none other than Chris Peterson with us today to talk about how to interpret the Bible. Hi, Chris, and welcome back to the Pactum. Well, thanks again for having me. This time I held off and didn't jump in before you introduced me, right? <laughs> I, I thought of that last night when we were working on this. Yep. Chris is someone who was on episode 25. So if you haven't listened to episode 25, we did something on biblical counseling and to this date, it actually remains one of the more popular episodes. Yeah. Chris is definitely back by popular demand. True, true. Yes. In fact, a number of people wanted a regular counseling session. Yeah, with counseling Chris. with Chris. Episodes oh, they, weekly. They wanted it to be a regular thing, and Chris said, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I have enough to do, and I don't need to do other people's counseling for them. Yeah. So check out episode 25 if you haven't yet. On our last episode, we did a formal introduction of Chris, uh, but today we're not going to do a formal introduction. Uh, we are going to do a word association with Chris. Ooh, these <laughs> are so tune in, to, tune in to episode 25 if you want to hear the formal introduction, but Chris is a pastor here with Mike and myself. And today what we want to do is to interpret Chris. So these, yeah. this is oh, we're interpreting Chris so he can talk about Bible interpretation. So Chris, you're only, we have rules on the pactum, okay? So you're only allowed to give one-word responses. And so are you ready? How many? I don't know. I just have a list. You just have a list. There are several. Right, there are goes. several of these. <laughs> no, so true or false. Maybe there's about eight or so on the pactum. One word. Yep. No more. One so word. getting right, to know Pastor Chris Peterson, one-word association, Starting with baseball. Cubs. <laughs> Next one, wife. Robin. <laughs> That's a weird one. What, <laughs> Next one. I'm telling them who she is, I suppose. <laughs> Next one, lottery. Lottery? I just repeated it. Perfect. Go on. <laughs> See, I put lottery next to wife because I figured with a great wife like you have, it's like you've won the lottery, the marital lottery. Oh, so you're so, leading me. There yeah, it is. On. You're okay. reading into. Next one is... Not reading out of. Next one... <laughs> He, this is the last time Chris is going to yep. be on. This uh -huh. is it, folks. At least for a couple of, for a couple of weeks. Okay, next one. You're not following the rules, by the way. No. So he's a pat, he's a covenant breaker. Yes, is what he's Indeed. doing. Okay, so next one, vacation. Um, Colorado. Next one, biblical. Uh, interpretation. Okay, next one, Thomas. Thomas, you want me to say Aquinas? <laughs> 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 That's what I thought of immediately. So yeah, yeah. Next one, mayonnaise. 
mayonnaise. Other, or otherwise known Get as... Get it off m- my hamburger. May- mayonnaise. <laughs> Get it off my food. Is there <laughs> a story behind mustard. this mayonnaise? Can I just say mustard instead? <laughs> okay. Okay, there you go. That's well, funny. I, I think Chris doesn't quite get a no. ma- not quite a passing grade not on quite. following the rules, but we did get to understand Chris a little bit better right, by, yeah. by this. That's always fun to do. So yeah. we're going to pick mm-hmm. Chris's brain today because he's teaching a class right now on hermeneutics, and so we realize that his brain is filled with all things hermeneutics, and we want to pick said brain yep. about hermeneutics. So we're going to talk about everything from the Enlightenment and its influence on hermeneutics. We're going to talk about Scripture, interpreting Scripture, otherwise known as the analogy of faith. We're going to talk about the pactum. Of mm, course we are. Of course, we the like, pactum on the pactum. The pactum likes them some pactum and the influence on interpretation. Law and gospel, typology. And we're going to round out the episode today talking about some resources. You will want to make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode today if you want to hear, I guess, something that we're going to ask Chris to do that would be more pastoral uh, and to speak to our hearts, if you will, as Christians, and that would be to talk about the Psalms. So be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode to have your heart warmed. So whether you are a Bible reader, which we hope all Pactum listeners are Bible readers, Mm. or a teacher or a preacher, you teach little kids, regardless if you're a Christian or even interested in understanding Christianity, hermeneutics end up being important. So right. this is an all-inclusive episode. Absolutely. Today That's what we always try to do. Everyone should be able to take something away from the episode. That is our goal at least. Yes. Yeah. So Chris, maybe we start off by starting with the very basic and simple, and let's answer the question, what is hermeneutics? Well, we're going to say it's the study of something, uh, the interpretation. Um, so you could interpret any kind of literature, uh, poetry, uh, narrative, um, prophecy. So it's just the art of uh, interpreting, hmm. um, which is making sense of it, uh, understanding its meaning. Might be some helpful explanations. Chris is doing a much better job on this part than he was following the <laughs> yeah, rules with word yeah. association. So that, that's, <laughs> there you go. Some that's helpful. That just uh, caused me to think up a, an extra question, Chris. So when we do hermeneutics, the art of interpretation, understanding something, mm-hmm. do we interpret the Bible exactly like we do other literature or other forms of writing, or is it different? Yes, uh, to a certain degree. And we're going to talk about different layers um, if we get into the issue of uh, interpretation and hermeneutics. Um, but yes, God has condescended to us. Um, he's communicated through creation language. It's, as others have said, it's not, he didn't uh, invent some angelic language um, and then expect us to come up to him. That's not how God works. We couldn't come up to him. He's, he is the creator. He's transcendent. He's eternal. Um, we, we call it the creator-creature distinction. So he, he condescends, he steps down. And again, these are metaphors that we use to describe God's relationship with us. And we're going to add to that uh, by way of covenants. Um, but in so doing, he has communicated through language. If you will, he's, he's taken on, and not, not talking about change of being here, these are metaphors, um, language, our language, to communicate to us. He's, if you will, even in his providence, um, worked through culture, which he has, um, I, I, it's such a strange word to say, groomed, but he's working through secondary uh, causes, uh, human beings, to develop culture, and he communicates to us uh, through, the, through that culture. So, yeah, we're not expecting something entirely different. There are basic rules. When you read poetry, uh, what are you looking for? When you read prophecy, um, when you read 
uh, apocalyptic link, um, literature, what are you looking for? So there are some common common yep. rules. That makes right? sense. So it's, it's similar to other forms of literature yes. interpreting. Yeah. It's also different. So mm-hmm. how, how would it be different than any other thing that's right. ever been written? That so we're that's for automatically into a, a dual layer here. So think of think of Christ. We, we're going to say that Christ is um, fully God and fully man, holy God and holy man, um, and that he is one person. So when we look at Scripture, we're talking about divine and human. Um, it's, it's what happens when God communicates through his word. So we have the human author, the human aspect. We have uh, human uh, poetry, uh, prophecy, and so forth, uh, the human rules of language, if you will, of grammar, uh, history, culture. At the same time, behind that, we have God who is revealing. So we have the divine author. Uh, he is working and superintending uh, over the human author. So that both are true at the same time. Okay. Um, so Paul wrote Romans and, and the he Holy was, Spirit yeah. wrote Romans. Okay. So that helps. Yep. It also helps to know that if we have one divine author of the whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So even though Moses might write a lot differently than the Apostle John. Absolutely. Yep. There's, there's one divine author orchestrating, overseeing, yep. and so it's all going to somehow be related. Absolutely. God has providentially worked. Uh, even in the culture and background of Moses, who he is, if you want to go to the biology of, of who Moses is versus who Paul is, he's, if you will, groomed all of that uh, with a purpose. That's his providence. He's involved. At the same time, uh, working through that, he is communicating exactly uh, his will and his intention in his word. Okay, hmm. good. Yep. So Next, two layers right there. Yep. Right? I, well, it's it's a false choice to say which yep, one. Absolutely. It's both. Mm-hmm. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. So. I knew you were going to nuance that. In yeah. fact, I pretty much knew how you were going to answer the question. So that was good. <laughs> good. That was good. Let's move on a little bit and talk about the fact that hermeneutics is this discipline. It's a class you take. You read hermeneutics textbooks. Sure. You're teaching a class on hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. And I guess I want to push back and ask the question, why? Uh, I know you believe the Bible is God's word, inspired, mm-hmm. inerrant, sufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like we're introducing philosophy or it sounds like... Um, this is unnecessary. Added. Why would we need to study hermeneutics when we have the Bible and the Bible is all we need? Right. Right. Well, for, first of all, I mean, Jesus in, in Luke 24 says that all the scripture, the Psalms, the Law, and the Prophets are about him. So he's automatically interpreting all of scripture in light of him. And we are called, um, if you can go back a little bit to uh, even the pur- purpose of the church, we would say that that God's word has created the church and then God has given a mandate to the church to receive his word, to guard the deposit of the gospel, to keep the pattern, 2 Timothy 1.13, of sound doctrine, and then to, to promote it. Um, so in all of that, you have the word of God has created the church. I'm part of that church. I'm part of the body of Jesus Christ, and I'm called to receive the word of God. And of course, he's set up offices to do so, to receive that word, to interpret it rightly, to guard sound doctrine, and then to uh, promulgate it, to promote it, to guard it, to defend it. So right away, you you're not only have the task of all things are um, the, the meaning of Scripture, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets are Christ, but also now the role of the church with regard to God's Word. So it, requ- it behooves us, it requires us to uh, interpret it uh, in a Christ-centered way and to guard it for the forthcoming uh, generation until Christ returns. Okay. Um, so I would, say, I would say, yeah, so then we can look at Scripture itself— as that trustworthy authority, 
and it begins to uh, define for us. Um, in other words, it's God's interpretation of this world. It's God's interpretation of his common grace. And so from there, I'm looking at it, and I see uh, the Psalms. I see lament Psalms. Um, I see messianic Psalms. I see Psalms of thanksgiving, right? I, I read Daniel, and I see Revelation, and I see the prophetic and apocalyptic uh, nature of that. So we're already introduced to uh, different aspects, we say genres, um, uh, of Scripture, that Scripture is inviting us to interpret in light of Christ. Uh, I know that's not necessarily answering exactly why the hermeneutics class, but um, if God has revealed himself through these different genres of Scripture, uh, I want to acquaint myself and in, in how to rightly interpret that. I don't want to take... Um, the Psalms and the poetry that's being used there, or let me just say the book of Revelation. Uh, it's using masterful uh, similes and metaphors and over-literalize that and misinterpret it. I'm not necessarily meant to treat the uh, book of Revelation or Daniel in the same way that I would be reading First Samuel. Um, and so that can be a little tricky, and it's helpful to understand the distinctiveness there and on, with my goal of looking to Jesus Christ and understanding him okay. through it all. So that's mm-hmm. given me some traction as far as that, that's helpful, but you're already saying things that are controversial within mm-hmm. in the debate about hermeneutics. And so maybe that helps us a little bit to understand we study hermeneutics to see how other people do it, to see how it's been done in the past, sure. to see argumentation back and forth, because you talked about Christ-centered, Luke 24, but yep, yep. we know people who say that's actually not right, that's not good. Right. So one reason we want to say, well, let's study hermeneutics is not only to understand the Bible better, but to understand how other people have tried to do it, sometimes successfully, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. not so successfully. So it's not like we're saying the Bible is not sufficient. It is but let's not start over. Let's not pretend like we're the first Christians and let's learn things like genre. Right. And obviously revelation is different from first Samuel, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I guess I'm coming from a background almost in a good sense and in a bad sense, uh, as a Christian simpleton who thought I, if the Bible says it's inerrant and inspired, all I need is the Bible and I don't need to pay attention to mm-hmm. any other books. I all don't right. need to take your class on hermeneutics. <laughs> Sure. Um, well, regardless, we're always bringing some of our presuppositions and culture into it, and that's that's the dilemma. Ah, uh, that's good. What, what, you, what does that mean? What does that mean? That's really well, good. Well, we've been shaped. Uh, we've been developed by, by culture. Even if we don't know it. Even if we don't know it, right? We are human beings engaging with culture. It's what it means to be fellowshipping creatures. Um, we're, we're not static. We're dynamic. Um, we change and we grow. And so by default, you've either uh, picked up presuppositions of um, religion, um, how you interpret the Bible, um, who, who God is, who Christ is, the gospel, what the church is. Yep, that's good. You've picked up culture as well. And so you have two threads there. You have common grace, because when we talk about even other cultures using genre like the Bible does, um, we've got to talk about God's common grace in the world around us. But you're talking about particularly the church and how... Christ has made promise in John 14 that he's going to give the Holy Spirit to lead us in the truth. And then it comes back to Ephesians 4, that if God has created the church, given the word to the church, then the church, it behooves the church, right, uh, to pay attention to each other as the Holy Spirit works uh, to help us understand his word and to grow in it. Yep. And if you're not understanding what Chris is getting at as far as presuppositions, we we all presuppose things. We all bring something to the text. And maybe we, we want to set aside bad presuppositions. 
Uh, but we all bring them and let's acknowledge that we do. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking in terms of genre literature, I thought it all read the same. Uh, just go to Proverbs, for example, as an easy one, mm-hmm. because no one in their right mind should interpret Proverbs as these promises made to all Christians. Yeah. But they're principles, they're Proverbs, they're mm-hmm. general truisms. And most Christians, if you talk to them for five minutes, will will sign off on that. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, Pactum listeners, you're able to see that. And they're general truisms. They're not actually promises like some other promises, for example, mm-hmm. like in Romans 8, that are ours because we're in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. You think of examples. Another one, Pat, would be Christ is called a lamb. I mean, right there, I assume naturally you're going, well, that's probably a metaphor here. Christ is not a literal lamb. So you're left, you're left with already applying uh, your presuppositions in the text, and, and and if you're doing it naturally and just reading, you're you're going to pick that up. And we're just trying to help articulate uh, when there's metaphors and similes being used to help uh, maybe nuance that that's and really, refine that a little bit better. That's super helpful. God doesn't have wings, right? Not a rock, not a literal rock, but you yeah. can take analogies from that. He's firm. He's steadfast. He's faithful. Yes. So all we're doing is trying to codify, if you will. So in hermeneutics, yep. we're trying to codify. We're trying to see even the rules we should have that we get from the Bible itself. Mm-hmm and make observations from Christ himself. Right. Yeah, I had someone after one of my classes just say, I don't really get the, the poetry in the Psalms. And I, I said, don't worry about it. I, we, I understand that we have nuanced this to the nth degree, and it gets overwhelming. Like, you got to memorize uh, everything here, uh, uh, metaphors and similes, and, um, and we can go on and on with that. But just just be natural, be normal. You do it every day as you're listening to people. Um, and, and, and they're they're using normal language um, or they're uh, quoting from something or they're using some metaphor to describe um, what, what they see in the world around them. It's natural. In one sense, I think people generally have pretty good hermeneutics just because mm-hmm. they're natural thinking beings. Yep. At the same time, when you get into some of the dicier, spicier, controversial issues, sure. then it gets a little bit more complex. We're going to talk about them in a bit, yep. but thinking about things like Christ-centered or not Christ-centered sure. Old Testament. I want to get there, yep. but generally speaking, Christians think the Bible's about Christ. Yeah, <laughs> until, right, right. Until, their, until their evangelical <laughs> professor yeah. tells them that it's not about Christ, right. but I'm, right. get, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. And one simple example would be in China, uh, the dragon's good. And so you're going to have to look at Scripture and go, wait a minute, uh, how's the dragon used um, in, in the Old and New Testament? Well, it's referred to the serpent. Or Satan, and in some cultures, the lamb's bad, <laughs> hmm. right? So the Word of God is going to fine tune that. Yep. Those kind of similes, and that's, metaphors. That's that's helpful. Hmm. Okay, let's talk now about the Enlightenment. But but before you even begin, uh, some of our Pactum listeners are going to th- hear Enlightenment and think, I guess it's time to uh, go to a different podcast <laughs> because they just wanted to learn how to interpret the Bible. Yeah. I'm going to beg you to keep listening and, and to, to suggest to you that the Enlightenment, we should talk about what that is, what's good about it, what's bad about it, but it was a major historical event that significantly influenced Bible interpretation and even influences Bible interpretation today amongst the most conservative Bible-believing Christians, and it's probably not very helpful. Just general flyover, think Enlightenment, think 1700s, even though there were influences before that on re- dealing with rationalism, but think Enlightenment, think it's good because all of a sudden we're not going to be controlled by superstition. We're not going to be controlled by mm-hmm. fables of religion and controlling people and manipulating them. 
people need to think for themselves and people need to be enlightened. So in one sense, I'm a big fan of the enlightenment, but at the same time, we, let's get rid of God. Let's get rid of the one true and living God. Let's get rid of the Bible as God's word. And so it's bad in that sense. Mm. But what I want to have Chris talk about is the effects on, of the enlightenment kind of thinking on hermeneutics, how it influenced the church and how it even still influences the church today so that we might know for example, pastors who listen, you may have been taught a certain kind of hermeneutics that are actually pretty enlightenment influenced and you didn't even know it. And I, I'll raise my hand here uh, in the studio that I think I was influenced by enlightenment thinking without knowing it. There you go, Chris, run. <laughs> um, two helpful resources maybe to start there that you have to look for a couple chapters in it, um, but Don Collette, Figural Reading and the Old Testament um, there's a couple uh, chapters devoted to the Enlightenment's influence on, we may call it over-literalization uh, in our interpretation. We can talk about that, about that in a little bit. But Craig Carter it would be another one, Interpreting Scripture with the Great Tradition. Just some helpful resources. Yep. We've, we've talked about that book before. We will list the items, all the different resources we'll get to at the end and put them in the show notes. Yeah, so particularly the reason I, I appeal to them is because it, they're helpful and acknowledging that this over-literalization, um, I'm going to use words like seems to be. Um, it's, it's hard to make direct connections and to say that everybody's uh, reading Enlightenment thinking. But it, 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 if it, the shoe fits, wear it, so to speak. Um, and they're going to go back to um, even Descartes, I think, therefore I am, where we're going to start with self as the basis. And we're going to question how we can know God. If God is eternal, if God is transcendent, um, it's the deist way of thinking, then how can I, I know him? And so we start with self as the subject. And then from there, um, and, and Gerhard Voss's Biblical Theology deals with this, um, the issue of how do we read uh, authors, human authors, that talk about God. And they're saying, well, if we really can't know, if we start with ourselves and assume our, our self-authority, uh, uh, self-autonomy, then how do we really know God? And so you read the human authors of Scripture or anything else to see what they thought about God. It really puts all religions on the same uh, level. And, and so it becomes a very naturalistic way of, of thinking. Um, you, you're cutting off the divine author already. You're presupposing uh, the authority or what's often been said, the authorial intent uh, and the human consciousness of the, of the human writer. And so uh, the, the Enlightenment produced all kinds of, if you will, uh, scientific methods, um, so-called, to interpret the human author and to, to uh, look at the human author's intent and his consciousness behind that. And so what we're concerned about is that we've imbibed that idea. Okay, so it's good to, know, try, to, it's good to try to figure out what the human author was up to, even though we can't know their thinking. All we have is what, what they've written. Right. But we are trying to say <laughs> Paul's writing is different than Peter's writing. And their vocabulary is different, mm -hmm. so it's okay mm -hmm. to do and that. And that's fine. Yep. It's fine to do that. So, But yep. the problem is they're leaving the, the, the divine author out. Leaving the divine author out. And that's intentional for the Enlightenment. Okay. Hmm. We, don't want, we don't want to be imbibing that, even though the, the methodology may look really good. A lot of the biblical studies have come out, and we're going to, we're going to use genre, for instance, to, uh, to interpret uh, the Psalms or for Samuel uh, narrative. Uh, but at the same time, we're not doing it at, by, by presupposing that there's not the divine author uh, over Scripture. And what we get back to presuppositions, what ends up happening by default when we say that we're not really being fair, we're underhanded, we're reading our presuppositions to determine what the human uh, consciousness is behind that text, the human author intent. Um, so that's the danger, and you see it often in the writing. 
Okay, and this comes through even in conservative Bible mm-hmm. teaching. The fundamentalists, the most right wing, a lot of our hermeneutics end up being post enlightenment hermeneutics, not yes. classic Christian hermeneutics, right? Right. right. Absolutely. So, and and to take away from that is not enough emphasis on the one divine author who's mm-hmm. overseeing the whole thing and right. leading and guiding, like it says in Second Peter. Um, right. He's orchestrating. He's mm-hmm. he's he's behind the whole thing. Right. So yes, let's emphasize human author as we're doing hermeneutics, mm-hmm. but we have to remember there is one divine author who stands behind the whole thing, carrying Absolutely. out his intention. And so that probably isn't emphasized enough. Now what I want to do, Chris, is have that lead into another question regarding interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Right. Uh, has that been something the church did? Is it good hmm. to interpret Scripture with Scripture? I think it's sometimes called the analogy of faith. Right. And isn't it true that some conservative Bible teaching hermeneutics professors say we shouldn't do it? Right. Is that enlightenment? Talk to us. Yeah. So we do we do see a trend in the at least. Uh, early middle dispensationalist era um, to deny the analogy of the faith. And some have replaced it with analogy of Scripture. It's just a, a, a fanciful way of trying to still acknowledge that all of Scripture is inspired. I mean, it's one thing to acknowledge that. It's another thing to actually treat it as uh, inspired, God-breathed. That is the text of Scripture. You see, one of the, one of the dangers is to take the idea of inspired uh, and to apply it to the human authors and while we understand they've been carried along and superintended by the Holy Spirit uh, as an instrument, uh, using all their personalities, culture, language, and all of that, well, what Second Timothy 3.16 is underlining is that the Scripture itself is, is inspired. And we want to drive to that. And so uh, Augustine and others have acknowledged the analogy of the faith, that uh, all of Scripture um, is from God, and so therefore it is, uh, there's a unifying uh, doctrine, a unifying theology that... Um, works together. It takes all the pieces, if you will, of Scripture and threads them together um, so that we can do systematics. We can look at who God, what Scripture says about who God is, what Scripture says about who Christ is, what Scripture says about the church. Uh, we can do biblical theology. We can look at uh, the, the redemptive themes that run through Scripture, whether we look at the sacrifice, the sacrificial themes, um, or the themes of Exodus or temple um, or saviorship of Christ uh, running through. Um, this allows for uh, prophecy. It allows for us to to understand that the Old Testament can uh, talk about um, the the future of Christ's coming um, because there's a unity. It allows for typology. It allows for God to uh, mastermind this divine plan in which he's going to layer it through shadows that point forward to the greater realities. Um, some, uh, some have described it as uh, child, um, childhood to adulthood. So there's these layers embedded in it because God is the divine author. So with one divine author orchestrating the whole thing, the text itself is inspired. We do want to be promoters of Scripture interpreting Scripture, reading the yep, old in light of the, the new, mm-hmm. reading the new in light of the old, because yep. there's one divine author. There's progressive revelation. It's unfolding over time, right. but it's actually one purpose, one plan. Right. And Enlightenment thinking doesn't have a sovereign God. Right. Who has a decree, who's unfolding throughout yeah. time, orchestrating. So we're going to end up piecemealing the scriptures. I, lo- I love to say, let's get rid of the holy book and make it holy books. Yeah. We're going to do that. Yeah. So what we, w- we want to get back to the old way, classic, more traditional reform theology, the reformers, analogy of faith. 
one divine author. Let's treat it as a Christian book, mm-hmm. Old and New Testament, anticipating Christ, fulfilled in Christ. And this is why, again, it's okay to allow one to interpret the other. Easy texts, hard texts. God doesn't have wings. God doesn't <laughs> have a body, mm-hmm. even though the Bible says he has wings and it's not a contradiction. Right. Right? All of these things are true to Absolutely. be embraced. They're good. Yep. Chris, what, what do you think the pushback is to the analogy of faith, for example, from Bible, people who would say they believe in a divine author, mm-hmm. and yet they don't like analogy of faith, probably alongside of that, they don't like interpreting the old and light of the new. Right. What, what kind of turf are we defending? Is that what it's about? What's the agenda? Why is that such a big deal? And, and with that, why are they against Christ-centered hermeneutics? Because they all three of those tend to go together. Right. I, I don't try to want to speak to... Everyone's situation, I don't know all their um, Author- personal... You don't know the authorial intent. Yeah, I know the intent. intent, right, and human <laughs> consciousness behind their own writings, absolutely. But what we can do, I think, is we can look at uh, the Reformers. And I think they can give us a, a test base for, for all of this. Um, let's, let, me, let, me start, let me just go back earlier to the early church fathers. And, and again, it's, I'm using this as an analogy to maybe help with why uh, dispensationalism is responding the, the way it is. And I think there's been a lot of growth, right? Progressive dispensationalists and so forth. So it is hard to caricature uh, or overgeneralize. But so Augustine was really struggling with... So um, dispensationalists tend to not like the analogy of faith. Right. And they tend to not like right. interpreting the old and light of and the light new. light of the new and, and, and seeing Christ in the Old Testament. Okay. So th- there it is. So it's, it's just good to know that. It, it's helpful. So, so Augustine... When he begins to understand Christianity, he is struggling with um, Manichaeanism. Um, the Manichees have an issue with, with God, um, how God can relate with creation. Um, it's very Gnostic. So to, to have the flesh and the spirit involved would be to contaminate uh, the spirit. And so for Augustine, um, he uh, joined their way of thinking that the Old Testament um, is very fleshly. And so he, he wanted a, a, a strong dichotomy between uh, the supernatural and the fleshly things until he began to understand um, the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. Um, often one's view of God, uh, particularly one's view of Christ, affects one's view of Scripture. And as he began to reorient his view of who Jesus Christ is, holy God, holy man, uh, he began to understand that Scripture also can reflect that. Okay. Um, so, again, here's, here's these overreactions, uh, misunderstanding who God is, misunderstanding who Christ is. So we're talking about the divine human aspects, right, with regard to Scripture. There's often a correlation there. Uh, so Sinianism, you see that with even John Owen. He talks about um, Biddle. He was the, um, the, the, the gentleman that he was interacting with. He over-literalized Scripture. Um, he took God as um, a physical corporal form, and so he ends up denying the Trinity. And so you have God in this physical form, uh, literally seated, so it's over-literalization in the heavens. And in doing so, he ends up denying the gospel, the deity of Jesus Christ, the Trinity. Um, so again, often one's presuppositions, one's doctrines of, of God and who Christ is affects uh, Scripture. And again, um, so Sinianism has a hard time with interpreting the Old Testament. Um, so we're moving forward. Uh, well, actually, I moved way forward, moving back a little bit to uh, Martin Luther and to John Calvin, where they're, they're dealing with the um, traditions of the, of the Roman Catholic Church and a lot of embellishment and misuse of Scripture. And so they're trying to bring it back to um, 
a emphasis on the uh, literal interpretation of Scripture. You, you hear the grammatical, historical, uh, literal interpretation of Scripture from uh, Calvinists, uh, from from Luther and Calvin, but they're not they're not capitulating and throwing out the analogy of the faith. In fact, it was common at that time to have a a fourfold in interpretation of Scripture that's all grounded in the literal. You have the literal. Uh, interpretation of, of Scripture. So you're looking at what is Scripture saying. But again, because there's a divine author and he has a grand purpose, there is also a tropological or moral. So there's an ethical because uh, we we are still related to God. And as Christians, we have a, a particular in Christ relationship with him. So there's a moral component to God's word that is to be applied to us. Um, there's also the uh, allegorical, and allegorical was often used, and this you can get from Don Collette's figural reading in the Old Testament, but used uh, broadly to describe theology or doctrine. How does Scripture, uh, how can it be systematized, looking at what it says about God, about human nature, about Christ, the gospel? So not allegory like Pilgrim's Progress. Right, used that's it often in a different sense. And it can be misused. Yeah. And yep. the Reformers understood that, yep. but they're trying to re anchor it. Um, and then. Uh, if I say it right, anagogical, uh, anagoge would be another uh, part, probably more Latinized uh, way of describing it. And that had to do with eschatology. So it's looking at um, the, the future um, that we can apply to ourselves because of the promises, uh, the hope uh, that's given in Scripture. So what's fascinating is all these, uh, Luther acknowledged, he even applies it. You'll see it as he deals with Noah and the flood and the raven and the dove. Calvin does it as he acknowledges um, some of the writing during his time, uh, one particular one that he acknowledges um, the allegorical interpretation or the theological interpretation is when he uh, is reading, I believe it's Ambrose, and Ambrose talks about Jacob being covered uh, in the coverings of Esau in order to be able to come to Isaac. And they noted there's an analogy uh, to imputation, to the covering of righteousness, but it's still anchored in the actual historical a narrative of that text, using scripture to help us out, to unfold uh, some of the, the the dynamics, the pictures of salvation. So even Calvin himself is under, understanding that, but they want to anchor it in, in the text itself and in the analogy of the faith, how scripture interprets scripture. I think that's, that's super helpful. Um, they weren't abandoning that. Now, often the dispensationalists, I've, I've read them, I've read Zook's um, book on interpretation. They'll act as if they're uh, throwing out the baby uh, with with the bathwater, hmm. um, and that it's just this over literalization. And they're not doing that. They're trying to anchor it back into uh, into the text of Scripture. Uh, I think again, that's another helpful way to to interpret things or understand what's going on, <laughs> right? As we in- interpret overreactions. So we think literal is good, but it depends on what you mean by literal. Mm-hmm. Because even you mentioned earlier with the Manichaeans right. or the Socinians, they're using literal and it leads to a th- oh, for a theological liberal agenda. Heresy. Yeah. Yeah. This is what's fascinating too. When you think about it though, uh, even uh, being raised in dispensationalism, dispensational preaching, do you understand that they're actually using these fourfold um, in- interpretive grids? Uh, think about when, when a pastor is applying scripture. Um, that's tropological. He's using uh, a moral or ethical uh, interpretation of Scripture to say, go do this, live in light of this. If you're using uh, doctrine, you're using what, what the Reformers would call allegorical. When you're theologizing, when you're saying this, this Scripture, we're learning about God in this way, we're learning about the human nature in this way, we're learning about how the gospel applies to us, uh, you're, you're using the, the uh, allegorical uh, interpretation of Scripture. It's just it's fascinating how we'll still try to maintain the heart because we're Christians, and, and it is about Christ. 
right? We still want to keep the the aspects of interpretation that the reformers used, and but we play the underhanded game of let's change the labels. Let's not call it what it is. Um, let, let's use words like grammatical historical interpretation, but we're still going to do it. But you don't know what we're doing. We're actually still trying to do the same thing. But now it's unguided. Um, it, it's we kind of strip it from the uh, church as a whole. Uh, words like analogy to faith, we create new words like analogy of scripture, right. and we end up doing the same thing, but it, it's unguarded and unprotected. So we probably could find examples in Luther or Calvin or, or some of the greats of interpreting the Bible in a way maybe we wouldn't agree with. Sure. But wouldn't that be true of everyone? Yeah, absolutely. And so generally speaking, they're trying to have hermeneutical integrity, right? Acknowledging yes. human author, yep. divine author, and they're not crazy. No, they're not, and they don't want to be making things up. They're aware, they're aware of Aesop's fables. They don't want to use Scripture that way. That's not their intention. They want a Scripture to, to, to guide their thinking. And, and they have an art in understanding Greek and Hebrew, uh, exegesis. They, they, just, they love it. And, find, and they'll nuance uh, prepositions that help us understand uh, these aspects of imputation uh, that we, we love and hold to. Uh, so they're, they're, they're not capitulating on that at all. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a gross overgeneralization when we um, make statements, um, that, yes, that the fourfold interpretation of Scripture is, is just, it's made up and has no place. Um, so and, we get back to the basics here. Okay. We can get back to basics. I do want to answer the question that Chris didn't want to answer, at least um, po- pointedly <laughs> that he avoided. I think one reason why dispensationalists want to have this non-Christ-centered hermeneutic, they want to not interpret the old in light of the new, uh, to not do such things is because if you do those, if, if you do that, you can keep Israel as the end game and center to everything. Whereas what we think is actually Israel is a son and they're not a faithful son and they're designed by God to show that. So we would anticipate the one and only faithful son mm-hmm. who's, yeah. is, who is Christ the Lord. It is fascinating how it becomes uh, national Israel centric. Whereas uh, when you go through Isaiah and the New Testament, um, it's, it's the true Israel-centric. And so we get it backwards. Um, we, we, we take the baby carriage, national Israel, if you will, I'm using analogies, right? Take the baby carriage, and we make that the priority. Um, yes, God prepped uh, national Israel. Ooh, had a, had it's, a, a good, it's a good analogy. Keep had going. A, a purpose and plan for that, right? To um, separate from the Gentiles, to safeguard the word of God so that the, the Israel as a nation is holding to that. But also um, at the right time, born under the law, Galatians, uh, Paul says in Galatians, reminds us that Christ was um, born as a Jew to fulfill the law. And, and that's a, a beautiful reality. And all, all of that is, is like the baby carriage uh, carrying along um, God's word and the seed promise of Jesus Christ, even as he is coming from the seed promise to Eve, and you see the progress of redemption throughout history. Um, so what we don't want to be doing is throwing out the baby, throwing out the, the precious um, Don't throw out the baby with the baby carriage. Right. right. I, that sounds kind of right. But. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or flip that thing and make the baby carriage the baby yeah. and start treating it like right. the baby. Mm. I'm thankful that most Christians— by God's grace, have enough common sense to, not do to say Christianity is mainly about Christ. Yeah, yeah. but in practice... I'm really grateful for that. Yes, but in practice, what do you hear You know, preached? Oftentimes it's not that, yeah. and oftentimes maybe it's seminary that does it to the preacher. Right. So remember, Christians yep. are 
Christians. Christians. <laughs> right, right, right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Pactum. We're talking to Pastor Chris Peterson about all issues related to hermeneutics. It seems like it needs to be a two-parter, so we'll bring him back sometime. Uh, but let's move on to another question for you, Chris, and that would be, and I think you've kind of already gone here, but how? why is it important to interpret the Bible with the church? Yeah, all I can do is take you back to um, the Word of God creates the church, right? And then God has given instructions to the church to safeguard uh, God's Word. I loved 2 Timothy 1.13, I still do, where to guard the pattern of sound words. It's actually embedded in there is that word tupas or type. Um, and that actually gives a basis for understanding a place for creeds and confessions, that there is a, a pattern of sound doctrine that is to be guarded by Timothy and promoted. Um, no doubt we see confessions all over, uh, scripture, statements about who Christ is. Um, but at the same time, there's a pattern. There is, um, what, what other synonyms can we use for uh, a pattern, reflection? Uh, I mean, the word is type, uh, that we are to ma- form. How about that? A form that we're to maintain that's to reflect the uh, content of the doctrine of Scripture. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if that Ephesians 4 says that the church is to grow in that, then we better be paying attention uh, to one another as the, the Holy Spirit is working. So in a sense, there's, there's already a road that's been laid down, mm-hmm. and we want to try to keep the cart on the road um, right. and not veer off into crazy st- craziness. Right. I like it that in your, hermen- in your hermeneutics class, kind of hard to say sometimes, <laughs> but you're, you're, and one thing you're doing is you're helping people to see that we need to interpret the Bible with the church. Right. Let's hear what the church has said in the past. Let's read the controversies. Absolutely that have occurred, what the heretics have promoted. It's a history lesson in some ways. Absolutely. And regardless, you're coming to hear me uh, talk about my interpretation of Scripture. So we can pretend uh, that we're being pious by not listening to Augustine or Luther or Calvin. We're not listening to some, the Nicene Creed um, or uh, the London Baptist Confession or Westminster Confession. Uh, we're not going to do that, right? At the same time, we have our doctrinal statements, and we have our theology, and we have our pastors that we're listening to. That is a creed and confession that's coming out. The question is whether it's it's in form, whether it can be checked. Yep, that's good um, from that text you mentioned, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, and as we like to say on the Pactum, if you're going to reinvent the wheel, it probably won't be around. <laughs> and so let's just save ourselves some heartache and maybe some heresy and read hermeneutics texts and the, the debates and interpret the Bible with the church. I want to use a real specific example, Chris, of something that's difficult to interpret, a certain uh, genre of scripture or a certain um, book of the Bible, and that would be the Psalms, because I know you've been doing work on the Psalms, sure. and you've been studying all the Psalms, quite honestly, for a project. And so just help us, help yeah. someone like... Maybe none of us at this table, but help someone who's in one of your classes, a man or woman who's maybe newer to the Christian faith, help them to be able to make Christian sense of reading the Psalms. How do we read sure. the Psalms like a Christian without losing our losing our ever-loving yeah. Christian minds? Mm. So, I mean, this is where we're finally down to the rubber meets the road. It's the, it's the good stuff. <laughs> well, I do understand. It's all been good. Yeah, Come on. It, it, all, it all. But yeah, this is where your heart beats, right? Because... To, to see Christ and to look to Christ. Well, let's let's just apply. Let's just start with some of the grammatical, historical interpretation. I mean, for one, we do need to understand the poeticness, if I can use that, of of um, the Psalms. Uh, so for that, you're going to see a lot of parallelism. Um, you're going to see one line parallel to another line in contrast. Uh, sometimes it's just in comparison. 
and, and there's a lot of metaphors and pictures that are going on there. Okay, so right? para- parallelism, uh, help us out just so we have something tangible. So sometimes in a parallelism, it's going to say the exact same thing two different ways. Exactly. There would be one kind of example. Right. Okay, good. Right. Ab- absolutely. Um, so let's, let's be aware of that. Secondly, let's, let's recognize that um, there are different types of, of psalms. And I like to break them up into three. There are Thanksgiving psalms, there are lament psalms, and there's praise psalms. Lament, it's just fascinating. The Christian worldview deals honestly with the curse, with sin and suffering. It's not an illusion because we believe in the distinction between the creator and the creature. Good. Um, monistic religions don't. It's, it's an infusion of the gods and creation. And so suffering... It, tends to be an illusion. Um, we, we, we try to uh, evoke uh, happiness and emotions, and we don't square with it, right? Especially in American culture. Well, the Psalms give us lament. It, it's, I love to say it's almost as if, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, God isn't there. And I say that because the Psalms often say, where are you? Right. You know, um, you're, you're far from me. Um, it, it's, it's squaring with the curse. It, it's, it's squaring with suffering. It's understanding that uh, things are not as they ought to be, right? So that's lament. uh, The Holy Spirit has given us journals to be able to reconcile with the curse and suffering Mm. and to share that with one another and to be guided by God's word. That's that's helpful. Praise. That's heavenly. Praise, if you will, get... Pretend, if you will, that there is no curse because one day it's going to death will be destroyed. Uh, so we have all, already not yet. Yes, right there. It's it's heavenly. Yep. It's as if I'm standing there with the the heavenly throne of angels and and the church triumphant. And I'm rejoicing in the Lord, and so it allows me to live above it. To get it gives me hope. It's that eschatology of looking to the future. Mm. Thanksgiving stands between both worlds. Because what you're doing is acknowledging that there's suffering and there's hardship and trials. At the same time, I can praise God who's in control and he's working. He's not a God far off. He's a God who is near. He's a God who's transcendent, but he's the God who's also near. And he's near in in, in his son and in his word and by his spirit. And so thanksgiving allows me to live in both worlds. What am I doing? I'm looking back on the fact that God has taken the suffering and used it for good. He has an ultimate aim. This is Christian. And this is how the Psalms... How the Psalms lead us. Um, so, yes, they're a journal for us. Um, any, any, before I move on to no, Christ. No let's, so. <laughs> no, let's move on. Okay. So, uh, part of the issue is when you read things like Acts chapter 2 and Peter t- says that David um, was referring not to himself, but to Christ. David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms. David, right? who wrote a lot of the Psalms. Okay. Right. And when you read Acts 2 and you look at Peter quoting David, he says, you know, my, my soul, uh, I was not left in Sheol to undergo decay. It's very personal. So you're caught in a quandary. Uh, is this about David? But Peter says, no, it's about Jesus Christ. And so often in the dispensational system, we're trying to come up with these double applications. You get one hermeneutic from the New Testament, one hermeneutic from the Old Testament. Um, what Peter says, actually, David wasn't talking about. Uh, himself. He was talking about Christ. So that led others like Augustine to say, wait a minute, you want to talk about single sense? David was a prophet, and and he obviously understands there there's parallels, there's types, that there's a pattern, if you will, between David and the greater David. But in the end, he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's very helpful. Augustine actually unfolds a beautiful doctrine of the, the body's relationship with the head, that if David is literally talking about Christ, it's first Christ. 
It's first Christ being dealt with there, that Christ, if you will, is going to take us the script. Let, let me back it up a little bit. If we talk about the covenant redemption, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The pactum. Yeah, mm-hmm. you mentioned that, right? And we're using metaphors here to describe this relationship, but writing a script for redemption, by the Holy Spirit places that script in the mouth of David to speak uh, of Jesus Christ. Yep, yep. So, so that oh, when, yep, yes. yep. I don't want to interrupt, but I have to. So yep. we're talking about before Genesis, before time begins, yep. right? And Father, we use that Son, metaphorically too, before time begins. Right. God's infinite. Yep. So, so we, but before Genesis 1. Absolutely. Right? So before there is a, there is a plan and a purpose. Absolutely. It centers on the sun. So it can make sense. And this is, that, this is anti-enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Or, yes, absolutely. Right? This isn't how they would think. No way. But so it makes sense then to have the sun be centered or, yes. or the center of all things. And it makes sense to have David. There's somebody before David. Right? right, and there's somebody yes. that David can be prophesying about. So right. I just wanted to have that clear in people's yeah. minds, and that that's what we mean by the pactum, and that's why the pactum is important. Right, that's it's why Ephesians one is important, and so we can read the whole Bible from that perspective. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Sorry, no, not fine. sorry. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So in, we we hold the providence. We hold that the Holy Spirit is actually uh, renews the face of the ground. The Psalm one thirty nine. He surrounds us. Where can we flee from His Spirit? So He's personally guiding history here. He's guiding. Um, even David to, to to giving the script. I want to say it's a script That's because good. we That's love good. to just say, well, it's typology. It's just a, a correlation. No, it's the script for Jesus. How, why mm. do we say that? Because Christ, throughout His life, His death, and His resurrection, is taking that script and repeating it uh, to to draw attention to His His obedient life, His uh, work on the cross for sinners, uh, the atoning work on the cross, His resurrection, and His ascension. He's He's sometimes He is implicit where he's just making the connection there. Uh, sometimes it is overt quoting, uh, but it's coming from the Psalms. And others have noted that the Gospels actually quote more from the Psalms than anywhere else. Uh, so it, it's fascinating. And that led Augustine to say, okay, if this is first and foremost, you want to talk about single sense, it's Christ. That's the single sense. And then, because Christ is the head and we're the body, now David, as the body of Christ, can pick that up and reflect the, those things. And we, who are part of the body of Christ, who can look at David, because Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, and we're in Christ, we can take those things up too and echo them in our Lord Jesus Christ. The big issue is when the psalmists are confessing sin. And that is where um, the early church fathers and the reformers are going to say, you know, you're in a quandary here because in one sense, these Davidic Psalms will talk about my heart before God is blameless. You see this in Psalm 119 and you go, how in the world can David say he's blameless? And Psalm 51, he's acknowledging sin. Yes. So you're in a quandary where there's confession of sin in these Psalms, but at the same time, there's confession of perpetual, perfect obedience. Well, what is it? Well, they found the solution in Jesus Christ. So he can confess truly his righteousness, and the Psalm 119 texts fit him perfectly. He confesses sin, not his own sin, the church father said and the reformer said, but rather it's imputed. It's our sin that he has borne. And so there, there's a correlation there. And that opened up the, 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 the Psalms to see how they apply to Jesus Christ. It opened up a whole new world. And then squared with Peter saying, David's not talking about himself. He's talking about Christ. Christ, Jesus. The I've, songs I, are beautiful. I've never really thought before about the fact that, which one is it? Is it David is like Christ in certain ways, or is Christ like David in certain ways? Yeah. And in one sense, wouldn't it be true we put Christ first, uh, yeah. or would it not be true? No, absolutely. It's primary. Uh, I was just noting this book, Calvin's Old Testament Commentaries by Parker, 
And there's this beautiful quote that, that he acknowledges. He says this, talking about Calvin, and he's going through Calvin's uh, Old Testament commentaries. Um, he says the, the primary, not the secondary, but the primary meaning of those people's lives and all the events and institutions is that they were types, figures, images of the Christ to come, of the Spirit, of the Gospel, of the Church, of the New Covenant. He expressly says, so now he's quoting from John Calvin here, um, from Psalm 2, 1. Make sure that's right. Yep, the footnote there. He says this, David was created king not so much for his own sake as to be the image of the Redeemer. Huge. Primary Christ. Secondary, David. Hmm. Yep. And we tend to make the mistake of looking at it opposite because of yep. inscripturated chronology, if you will. Right. Um, or, the, the unfolding. Or, or naturalism. Right. Yeah. Or naturalism. Yeah. Right. Well, Chris, this has been enlightening Ooh. to talk about. Uh. Nice. Pre-enlightenment hermeneutics. I have lots more questions here. Sure I figured this is probably going to happen. Yeah. So we'll have to have you back to talk about hermeneutics. We'd love to do that. Thank you very much for joining us and helping You're us. Welcome. Yeah. What we're going to do is, uh, you know, I, I asked, you recommended a couple of resources. Yeah. But maybe yeah. what we could do is end by mentioning the two that you mentioned earlier. There's the Craig Carter interpreting the Bible with a great tradition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what was the other Figural one? Figural reading in the Old Testament, Don Collette. Okay. Yeah, and and that, anything we're looking at common grace, we don't we don't imbibe everything someone says. Sure. But, and would that yeah. be more of an advanced kind of textbook? Uh, it's going to be on the Craig Carter side. Okay. It yeah. Still you is. know what? It's not yep. simple reading, but if you're looking to question or rethink what you were taught in seminary, for example, or if you want to go into the deep end of the pool, those would be two good resources. Right. Yep. One real basic introduction to hermeneutics that we like to recommend on the Pactum uh, is the article that's in the back of the Reformation Study Bible. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. There's something good that at least introduces you to how to interpret the Bible. So if that fits, uh, we would commend that to you as a good introduction. Uh, with all of that, if you want to get in touch with Chris, uh, he is ta- he has taken a vow of silence when it comes to social media, <laughs> and so it will be impossible. So here's what we want you to do. If you want to spend time with Chris and get to know Chris a little bit better, you'll have to keep listening to the Pactum for future episodes, right. or you can buy a plane ticket and come to Omaha and come to his classes yeah, come to his on classes. Latin, yeah. logic, systematic theology, hermeneutics. Hebrew, Hebrew, Greek, Greek, and the list goes on. On, on. Various and sundry topics. You thought it was counseling that I focused on. (laughs) (laughs) Counseling with Chris. So with all that in mind, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Pactum. We are grateful for all of the positive feedback, for your prayers, for your encouragement. Uh, We consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to come alongside of you and to encourage you in your Christian walk. If you want to be in touch with us, because we are on social media, you can find us on Twitter at The Pactum, on Instagram at The Pactum Theology. You can email us at connect at thepactum.org. We'll see you here next time on The Pactum. The Pactum.